Welcome to Goddess Rising. I am Brooke Kikos, your host, a trauma recovery coach, RTT therapist, and NLP practitioner. Join us in unlocking the power from within and using our voice to create real change for women to empower, learn, expand consciousness, and uplift each other. If you have been burdened by a past of trauma, abuse, and toxic relationships, this is a safe space to learn and embody your truth. It's time that we embody our feminine energy and become the goddesses within and stop allowing others to dim our light. I am here to help you shift from shame, people-pleasing, codependency, and the belief that you are not enough and shift into expansion of your real potential. It's time to say no to toxic behaviors and say yes to unapologetic self-love. And this is where we find the healthiest relationship with ourselves. So I'm so excited today to have Ruth Larby here today. She is going to be speaking about how she empowers leaders to embrace their past and to rediscover purpose. And I love the fact that you have been doing, um, obviously, counseling for over 25 years and this experience in counseling, but you also led it into sales, like really helping people to um, guide them to their sales journey, right? How are they going to become the entrepreneur and create the sales and create this business? So um, Ruth really empowers leaders to discover pr profound meaning, purpose, and happiness in both their personal and professional journeys now. So she really wants to help liberate others from shame, their childhood narratives that are holding them back from really embracing their true um, personal power. So I love exactly what you do, Ruth, that speaks to everything that I am all about. So I would love for you just to kind of start this off and really start to talk about, you know, how did you get into counseling? Why did you say, okay, this is my route, I'm going to go? And then what eventually led you to sales? So just I'll let you take the floor. Awesome, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me here today. I To answer your question, what brought me into the path of counseling was actually my father. So when I was a little girl, like around eight, eight and 10, my father had me read a lot of psychology books. So he had a library of, he was very into mindset and psychology and spirituality. That was my first beginnings of being introduced to the psychology world by reading the books. And I've always knew as a little girl, I wanted to help people. And, you know, I demonstrated compassion. I wanted to have a path where I was able to help people and get rid of their blocks and empower them. Now, when I went to school, though, a um, couple of things. So in high school, I was told that my writing was not suitable enough to make it to higher education. So I nearly actually didn't go to university. And when I did make it to university, the first year of psychology, I completely bombed it. Like I was not. And I realized now I had ADHD. But at the mm -hmm. time, I didn't know that. Did horrible an exam. So I decided to pivot from psychology into sociology. But then... I was told later on, I found out that you can get a master's in counseling and practice. I thought you had to go all the way to the PhD level. And I was told that if you have a master's in counseling, you can have a, a related degree. It doesn't have to be psychology. So le years later, I went to get my master's in counseling. And I thought it was a dead end for me, but it wasn't. And it's so true that if it's your path, if it's meant to be your path, God will lead and provide doors for you to walk through. And as long as you continue to believe, like you have that, because I believe belief is sustainable and you may do, you may, sometimes we're so caught up with how it should be. Mm 
So I thought I would go get an underground undergrad in psychology and make it as a, a therapist that way. But that wasn't my path. I thought psychology was a dead road for me. And I didn't get my master's degree until after I left my abusive relationship. So between the time of me graduating with my BA in sociology, I'd moved to New York for love. And that relationship turned out to be very toxic and abusive, like financially, physically, all areas. Um, and then it was when I left him uh, about a year later, I decided to pursue my master's in counseling. So I basically started my whole life over again. I just gave you like the short, short version of the story, but <laughs> that's what brought me into Cal. Cause I realized that a lot of, I saw the patterns of women, especially that were suffering from abuse. Um, mm. That didn't just stem from their relationship, but actually went a lot further from their childhood. Uh, and that's yeah. when I started to connect the dots. I love that. So let's talk about those patterns. I love that you brought that up because, mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously I, I had those same patterns, you know, raise my hand mm. here. I understand. So let's talk about those a little bit. You know, what do you feel like in your childhood made you be attracted to, you know, the abusive partner kind of get trapped in that space? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So I witnessed abuse from my parents. So my parents were um, African descent from Ghana and they were in an arranged marriage. My father was 17 years older than my mom. Um, they came from, in order from the same country, they came from two different worlds. My father was raised in the city. My mother was raised in the country. My father was very educated. My mother wasn't. She didn't surpass grade 10. But I'm just sharing the dynamics between the two. Um, and growing up, it was a loveless marriage. And I saw a lot of control, a lot of financial control, some physical, emotional. So I seen that. And that was normal for me. And I just um, didn't understand what healthy relationship looked like. And I thought that if I enter into relationships that were very tumultuous, very... Um, you know, when you talk about the chemistry and the butterflies in your stomach, but in actuality, that's like a trauma response. I didn't realize that's what it was. So I always looked for men that were unavailable emotionally because my father was unavailable emotionally. So that's kind of where those patterns came from and not recognizing that um, I deserved, I was worthy of love, not understanding. So the abuse that was done to me, I've already done it to myself. That was my major aha. Mm, Wow. I love that you awaken to the fact that, okay, something has to change here. And can we just go back to that? That was such a good Mm -hmm. point that you brought up about the butterflies in the stomach. Mm -hmm. Because I had the same response when um, a man was exciting, right? Mm -hmm. If this man was like risky, and it was exciting, and I had to chase it, and I had to, you know, do all this feeling, right? It was like all this like excitement in the body in the mm-hmm. nervousness in the stomach, but it was really, you're right, a trauma response, yes. <laughs> but I did not recognize it because the trauma response was so familiar, right? So I'm sure you feel that same way. Oh, yeah. And that's why we, as women, we get addicted to that. Uh, we don't mean to, right? It's just our body and our nervous system gets addicted to that feeling of that trauma response. Mm-hmm. And then we're chasing that response. So if a man comes in and he's stable and he's a healthy partner, we think, oh, he's boring. He's boring because he's not giving me that same thrill in my body. I, <laughs> he's not giving me that so chase response, point. right? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's so uh, what you said is so powerful. Like that safe is boring because we were raised with Disney. We got to blame Disney for this. All of the yes. romance and, you know, we need to be saved and rescue. And 
and you need to see fireworks for it to be exciting and real and it's meant to be right we look at the love as the physical reaction but love is it's it's, it's an action right and it's a decision we make as well so when i met my now husband he was very like normal like no like drama and I thought oh is this is this is it can this be it? <laughs> I'm so used to the, like the drama it's, it's true it's an addiction and a mm-hmm. lot of women feel like if they don't have the drama then it's not spicy enough and that's mm-hmm. not the one but the one makes you feel safe yes. safe is love Yes. Yeah. I completely resonate. I love that you found your safe part, your safe place. You know, I I found that for myself as well, but that's why I always love to bring that up. What you brought to the surface was Mm. that I was like, oh, he's boring. I'm like, there is no thrill. Like, why can't you? I'm like, I was trying to ignite drama in him, right? Because I was so used to chaotic relationships as a child Mm. and then chaos in my own relationships over and over. And so when he didn't bring chaos to the table, I was like, well, I'm going to have to create some chaos because someone's got to bring some, some drama to the table yes. here. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But re- recognizing that is beautiful for you. So once you left that relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know, what in your journey were, did you, what kind of healing did you have to do for yourself? Obviously you had the aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, what, what next? Right. Yeah, because it was I started from scratch. Like when I left, it was with three dollars in my in my pocket. Like I went to a domestic violence shelter, um, so I started from scratch. Like I had no money, I had no family because I was from Toronto and I was in New York at the time. So I was completely starting from scratch. You know, I went through counseling. You know, had to start over, start working, and then at that time, I haven't worked a real job in a few years. I was with him for about three years, and during that time, he controlled everything, so I wasn't working. So it was like literally getting back my independence. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of work. I didn't date for a while either. I decided to like just really focus um, with the healing part, and even that was a journey. Even when I felt like I was healed, I still had so much work to do. And when I went to get my master's degree, um, it's when I went even deeper with that as well in counseling. Yeah. Beautiful. Did you notice that like, once you found your safe partner, obviously the man that you're with now, did Mm -hmm. you notice that you had even like, once he brought his healthy self and conscious self to the table, did you notice that you're like, oh, I have more work to do? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. There was things that would trigger me that I'm like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. I thought this was, I didn't know this was still here. Right. Mm-hmm. Or even like sometimes I'll think like, oh, am I hearing my father's voice? You know, they always say we marry our fathers and stuff. So that was my fear when growing up was marrying someone like my dad, like feeling trapped in a marriage. My mother felt very trapped. Um, so like the you know, there's all this about independent women, you know, not give up your power, all that talk. As son of someone like, I gotta maintain my power, I'm very independent, but not allowing him to help me at times because I was so caught up with that. I gotta protect myself. So looking at mm-hmm. him as my protector, that was a big shift for me. Yeah, that's huge. Well, I think there's something to be said too, right? Like when you've been in a toxic you know, environment as a child, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously your body is still kind of um, hypervigilant, right? And your body's Mm -hmm. still feeling like, okay, I got to make sure that there's, you know, no, no chaos that's going to happen or ensue. And so your nervous system, I'm sure was dysregulated like mine was. So I understand Mm -hmm. that piece too. And then you feeling like, okay, well, I have to protect myself at all costs because previous relationships didn't make you feel safe. So 
I think that's so true of what you said. Um, I felt the same way where it was like, okay, I have to be hyper independent. I can't, I don't want any help, right? Mm-hmm. I can handle everything. Let me just throw myself into my masculine energy and not allow um, him to take up space. I felt, I felt that was myself as well, right? Like I had to be really protective of everything. And if I wasn't, then I wasn't in control. Right. That is so true. Sometimes being in our feminine may feel unsafe sometimes because we feel like we had a lot of masculine energy that kind of betrayed us. Right. So allowing ourselves to receive and to and be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm still learning that. But I think Mm -hmm. I think that's a very um, it's a delicate balance because I have been in my masculine for so long. I catch Mm -hmm. myself all the time, like going back into that space. So I feel like it's like, you know, I'm still learning how to understand it and believe in it and receive and, and feel um, that energy more, which I think is nice to be able to even to get into that space, right? You don't have to be in that I have to protect myself mode anymore. Now I just get to be open and free because this man holds space for me to be who I meant to be, right? Which is really beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, I'm so happy that you found your safe space. That's amazing. Um, and I love that what you did and took for your own journey was not only did you go to school, but it was like you were also learning in that space too, right? You were probably mm-hmm. healing as you you did your schooling and and you were recognizing, oh, this was me and this is why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tons of ahas. And even till this day, I'm like, ah. Oh learning some new things, learning that I had, not only did I have daddy issues, I also had mother wound issues. And that was my mm. latest aha. Like, you know, um, in terms of um, feel, like I think my mother, because I looked like my father, I think my fa- my mother projected a lot of her, maybe anger towards him onto me because I was a physical representation of him. And I know parents say they don't have any favorites, but I felt like I was definitely not the favorites, but I think sometimes people are in our lives that really reflect ourselves back to them. And it was, I realized that, yeah, the mother wounds are there and you know, Mm -hmm. how I interact with other women as well. Also. Yeah. um, So let's just talk about the mother wound a little bit. I mean, I work with a lot of my clients with the mother wound and the father wound and you know, when I found out what those even were, it was like, oh, yikes, I got both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought I was, I was so um, hyper-focused on the one. And then mm-hmm. when I realized I had both, I was like, okay, wow, this is why I show up the way I do with other women. So let's talk about mm-hmm. how the mother showed up for you, because I think that's so interesting. Yeah, not feeling that I could be really loved and supported by other women, thinking that I would be constantly being judged and critiqued and feeling like I just couldn't be held. Um, and I realized in my relationships that I was a little bit more guarded and less open. Like I was the one that people could come to and I they would say, you can listen to me forever. But when it came for me to be vulnerable, it was really a challenge. Because I, yeah, I did have that fear of, Will they accept me for me? Because growing up, I felt like my mother kind of, you know, she critiqued me a lot and was always like pointing at my flaws and um, like to the point where I felt like, okay, can I do anything right? So, and I didn't realize for the longest time, I didn't realize this was the thing until now, later in life, I'm like, oh, this is why I'm a little bit distant sometimes with women. And it does because our first relationship, woman relations with their moms. Yeah. So, so almost having like emotional distance. 
mm-hmm. like to, to kind of protect yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I find that if women have emotionally unavailable mothers, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the mother is able to be there physically, take care of their needs physically, right? But then not, there is no emotional connection or no openness. Mm-hmm. It's really hard when we become, become adults to be able to do that with other women. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when we do find someone and we fully trust, um, a lot of the times if we've been in toxic relationships, we're finding the toxic friendships as well. Right. Yeah. And then we're like, okay, well, I, I gave her my all. And then I wasn't able to fully trust this person. And then all of a sudden it just, you completely shut down and you like build this, this wall of protection up. And all of a sudden you're just like, okay, I, I don't want to be friends with anybody. I'll just keep them just far enough. <laughs> Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for so me, I, it was a lot of not commu- like mm-hmm. not really sharing a lot. Mm-hmm. Like people, there's so much of me that people didn't really see. Like I held back a lot. That's how it translated for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what did you do to heal that mother wound? Do you feel like that has been really helpful for you? Uh, for me, it was actually, first of all, acknowledging that there was, like speaking to my mother, like bringing up things I was afraid to growing up, like mm-hmm. sharing how I felt in certain scenarios. Like, for example, like, you know, I felt like she had had a hierarchy with my sisters and I felt like my sisters had better treatment than I did. And that was a hard thing to say, like say that to my mom. Cause my mom was like, oh, no, I treat you guys all the same, but that's how I had received it. Um, so that was the first step was actually acknowledging it and addressing it with my mom. Like, and not everything, but some things, you know, um, and for a while that kind of opened up our relationship that she was more conscious of it, which I thought was pretty cool. But um, I know there's still work there because sometimes things will come up I mean, we're human and things like when you're in your familiar, like in your family place of origin, like when you're home, like things just, they always see you as where you were as a girl, as a little girl. So that's how that sometimes things will just slip up or come back up. I'm like, okay, my mom's doing that again, but <laughs> it's, it's acknowledging that it's there and understanding people's capacity. That was a big thing for me. Yeah. You know what? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Giving it's people forgiveness people and yeah, yeah, exactly. Meeting people where they're at instead of yep. being frustrated um, by, you know, what you're receiving or whatnot. So yeah, that's been a huge lesson for me as well. So I can mm-hmm. understand that too. I'm like, okay, well, I can't change anybody. So I just, you know, I'm going to love them the where they're at and that's going to be okay. Yeah, so, I love that. So let's shift a little bit back into, um, you know, obviously you did the counseling, but now you're mm-hmm. really helping people in the in sales, right? I mean, you're helping people kind of entrepreneurs shift and, and, and become more empowered leaders. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. how does that show up? Are you helping them address identity issues and what exactly is, is that? And what does that mean? Yes. Great question. Um, so I entered into the coaching space about three and a half years ago. And um, I initially, my whole business model issue was just sales coaching but when people will come to me for sales I realized that the sales skill really wasn't the issue that an issue with their identity and how they were showing up that was the real issue and going deeper with clients I realized that I saw the pattern of the self self-doubt and the imposter syndrome and of being afraid to even like charge for their services because they made their business mean something about them. So all of those attachment wounds will show up. Um, and I know this to be true because in my other business, I have a service-based business. And whenever I coach people, my sales team, 
they would say I, they can each have this exact same training and one will do fairly uh, perform differently than the other. And the reason for that was not because of what they were saying or it was really what they were believing about themselves, the energetics behind what they were, they were selling and the conviction behind it. And it was really how they felt about themselves as, as how they show up as an expert and authority. So it wasn't just me training them on the skills. I believe anyone can learn sales, but it's really deeper than that. It's what even the the silence between what they're saying, like the power they have of their presence. That is what I, I what I came to learn about sales. I go, you could say the same thing or not say the same thing if you don't have that presence when you're in a conversation then it doesn't, you can have the best skills and you may not enroll that client because there's, they feel that energy behind what Mm -hmm. you're selling. Yeah, exactly. And what do you, when you say they don't have a presence, like what are you really looking for with someone that has a presence that's going to Mm -hmm. be able to, to show up that way where the people are going to be like, oh yeah, this is a no brainer. Is the ability to hold space for the person that they're having that sales conversation is being comfortable with holding space. Because what happens sometimes in sales, um, for some people, sales can be very uncomfortable because they think, oh, I'm asking something to do something they wouldn't normally do. And in doing so, they will kind of um, rush through the process. Well, let me just vomit uh, all of the services and features and benefits and just quickly rush through this call because I don't want to feel uncomfortable when I make that invitation. But what they're doing is they're robbing the experience of actually being able to sit silently, be able to hear what their potential client is saying to them. Because sometimes they are their mind, first of all, most of the time their minds are already made up. They're just waiting for confirmation of what they're doing is right. So when you enter a sales conversation, majority of the time, their mind is already made up. They're just looking for confirmation. And sometimes we're so quick to escape that moment that we miss out on that beautiful opportunity for them to get their ahas like, yeah, this is for me. Or not being um, active listening where they may have said something or what they didn't say, not addressing and skipping over that. Then the sale doesn't happen because you fail to acknowledge your client and really address them. Mm-hmm. So that whole being present and holding space for them is so powerful. I know people are saying, well, that sounds like coaching and therapy. And I go, sales is very much that. I would agree. Yeah, for sure. Those are some great tips, honestly. Thank you, Ruth. I love that. I mean, in this is for anyone, right? This is not mm-hmm. just for an entrepreneur. I mean, this is for anybody that's in, you know, making you know, even in a job, right, as a leader or as in in corporate, right, like, how do you have these conversations and create connection and hold space for people? I mean, this is not just in the career industry, right? Like, this is Mm -hmm. even friendships. How do you hold space for people? (laughs) So true. Mm -hmm. Right? How do you acknowledge people, right? And I always, um, this is what I find that happens a lot in, in the space that I work in is it's, when you do this deeper inner work, you notice how like everything is connected, right? And the biggest mm-hmm. piece is what's your communication like, right? Because communication is in everything. How do you use your voice? How do you communicate with other people? How do you interact with um, your relationships with other people? Um, it's going to show up in every area of your life, personal career, relationship, um, friendships, right? It's gonna, It's going to 
it's so key. And the more that you can hone in on, okay, what, what do I need to focus on? What, what could I um, work on? Or where can I ex accelerate my growth as an individual, as someone that can, can show up and be able to communicate things wisely and, and reflect on my own abilities mm. as well. And not just someone else's is, is where you really create growth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so um, another question for you that I have is, could you share a personal experience or story where you found yourself facing um, some vulnerability? Okay, I find vulnerability is so hard. It's something I'm still practicing. I know everybody's practicing this. Practicing this. Um, and how did that experience really shape your belief in the power of your own self-awareness and emotional liberation? for your own growth. Mm -hmm. um, oh, wow. Actually, uh, by a few years, so I entered into the coaching space about three and a half years ago, as I mentioned, I hired my first um, business coach and I, the name, actually, I shouldn't say the name of the program, so I'm going to give away the person, but the name of the program actually had a number attached, like this certain amount of money in 30 days put it that way. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to follow this program to the T and I'm going to surpass the goals. Cause I had another business. I was already generating seven figures. So I thought, okay, this is, this is a new business. I could do the same. And I didn't, I didn't make any money in, in that, in that program, in that container. And I remember the last day, uh, the last, um, um coaching, um, call and you know everyone's saying their goodbyes and I remember crying now I'm a type of person don't really like to show you know real emotions in group settings and I remember just crying because I was so disappointed because I had put this huge expectation I felt like I was a failure and I just sat there I had no words I was just crying and the leader of the program like you know she stood like she held space for me and I think sometimes we we fail to realize how important that is. That's not about the words. And I remember people coming to me afterwards saying, wow, um, thank you for sharing that, like your disappointment. And we saw that, we felt that, and I can relate. And I felt so embarrassed and ashamed that I was crying. I was crying like a baby, like, oh my gosh, like, this is crazy. Like, suck it up, put your big girl's panties on. Like, you know, the masculine was trying to come in overdrive and it was just, I was like, no, I, um, and that was a lesson for me because it was the first moment where I felt held with other, by other women. Like, I was like, oh, this is what it looks like. Um, and I was like, okay, this is what vulnerability is about. It's not about weakness, it's about power. It's all about your power. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason why people fear it so much, because it, it, it is powerful. You're showing yourself, you're allowing yourself to be seen just as you are. And that's the feminine energy right there. Yeah. Is being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be seen. And just being okay with it, being unapologetic, being okay with just letting out your emotion and being vulnerable. And I, I think the practices for us as humans is to be able to do that, right? We feel like we have to, you know, act a certain way, be a certain way. And we hold back from those types of experiences and just sharing our stories and being vulnerable, right? And I think the more that we can do that, it creates like this 
empathy for each other. Um, we can look at each other and we can hear someone's story and we can say, oh, I see you. Like, mm -hmm. I understand, you know, and I'm here to hold space, even if it's a stranger, right? Like just being in these groups, I mean, I can resonate with that. Like I was on a summit yesterday and it was about just sharing the story of, you know, what happened to you? What did you gain from that? How did you get from here to here? Um, and I shared a poem that I wrote. And that was so vulnerable for me. <laughs> I was like, oh. so vulnerable for me because I, one, I probably would have never shared that. If you would have asked me six months ago, I would have never mm -hmm. said, hey, never sharing something that, I, that I've written. Um, and let alone the fact that I couldn't get through the whole poem without crying because it was um. something that was so near and, and dear to my heart because it was what I had survived. And so that, that was a piece of, oh, okay, this is what being seen and vulnerable feels like. Mm -hmm. And I, it wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be, <laughs> right? It wasn't as terrible. I was just able, complete strangers, right? Complete strangers, 60, 70 women, just complete wow. strangers and just allowing myself to be like, yeah, this is it, you know? Um, and then I was rewarded with everyone being like, that was a beautiful poem. Like absolutely. They, they took their breath away, like, because it spoke to them as well. So it's the fact that when we use our voice and we allow ourselves to just be vulnerable and seen, that's probably the most healing thing for us and for someone else right in the room. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the beauty in it. So oh, thank I you for agree. sharing that. That's that was beautiful. beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Your experience, very beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, because I mean, I think that that is what you what you're talking about is mm -hmm. helping people to have that emotional liberation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And for myself, and this may be you too, right? Like we were never able to um, express our emotions, or mm -hmm. emotions were not something we talked about, and for me, I've been suppressing those all my life. Yeah. Right. And so when you finally let them out, your God, the floodgates are just there. <laughs> they, just, yeah. they just continue to come and you're just like, okay, this is happening. Like there's no stopping it now. Right. But I think that's the, the biggest part of the healing journey is just allowing yourself to be like, it's okay that I sit with these emotions and let them come out of my body. They need to. Right, for and that's the only, and that's the only way you can be authentic because authentic is all about the willingness to be seen. Mm -hmm. And for most of our life, we often choose connection over being authentic. We choose the connection of others being authentic with ourselves. And when we allow ourselves to be seen, sometimes it may mean that we may not connect with everybody in the room, but that's okay because we have this fear of like, oh, well, if I if I'm authentic, then I'll lose people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's also the fear, you know, when you said earlier, the fear of judgment, that was, mm -hmm. that was one of my big stories, man, fear of the judgment. I still at times will catch myself being, oh, what will they think if I do this? Mm -hmm. And then I have to say, no, 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 that's an old version of me. I'm, I don't care what they think. Uh, this is what my soul wants this is what speaks to me. Um, and I just allow myself to be led by my heart, you know, and what, what really speaks to me. So I think that's huge. 
Um, I do want to ask this other question um, about you because I think what you do is fascinating. And then with the fact that you have this counseling degree too, I think you're able to just see people in a different light, right? And so you have this unique perspective on you. So how do you feel like you help leaders really identify and overcome that child narrative that could be impacting their leadership style, right? How do you help them see this piece that they could be, don't even realize that may not even be that they may not even know it's there, right? Yeah, it, it really, it's true. A lot of people don't um, see how their childhood experiences really shape who they are. Um, because especially in the personal development world, we focus a lot on uh, the present and the future, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas therapy is more in the like um, past, like going backwards. Mm-hmm. And usually in the personal development space, it's like, oh, well, don't focus on yesterday, focus on now, focus on tomorrow. For me, I believe in the power of the inner child work by going back to the place of time where you first got that narrative wherever you can remember it's so important to speak to that younger version of you and that's the way to flip it you have to connect with that I don't necessarily believe you got to stay there all day every day but once you used to and I I witnessed it with with people that I would process with we're used to see this light bulb that comes off like oh I just changed that whole story just now by going back there and witnessing her and talking to her saying, you know, I got you, you know, I got your back. You were enough, whatever story they had. Uh, To me, that's like one of the foundations of being able to change those narratives to really, to, to have that empowerment, you have to be willing to recognize, embrace all of you, really embrace that past so you can release the shame. Yeah. Um, you can't release the shame if you just ignore it. You have to understand where did that come from? Yeah, I agree with that. Wow, that is really powerful, Ruth, because I think I know in my own journey, shame was huge. Man, shame came to the surface and I was like, oh my God, what do I do with this shame? It was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But it was about the fact that it needed to be processed, needed to be dealt with. It needed to be, okay, well, where did the shame come from? Why do I carry this shame within me? Because you cannot show up as a leader without processing and getting rid of the shame. And it's going to show up. I mean, it's not like it's not always, you know, people are just like, oh, you can just get rid of it. No, it's it's always, the shame is always there, right? It's our shadow self, right? There is, it's still there. It's just, you're able to process it and see it now instead of it being hidden, right? It's like just recognizing, acknowledging, okay, I have the shame of things I did in the past um, or, you know, whatever happened in, in your life, but recognizing, okay, well, that's, that's then. Mm-hmm. I can't change the past, right? And being able to just acknowledge it and accept it and, and love it, you know, we have to, right? Love all, even the dark parts of ourselves, we have to love. And even as hard as it can be sometimes, right? And I think that's just the more that we become whole. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. That's amazing. I do ask, I'm going to ask you one quick question and then we're going to kind of wrap up here because I always kind of just throw this out. You know, in your journey, if you could share with the audience one thing that maybe someone said to you or maybe something that happened in your journey that made you really be like this is someone I would give this advice to someone else 
because this is what helped me. What mm-hmm. would that be? Oh, I know this is. I, it's it's. I truly believe in the power of now. And I read the book by Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, and I felt like that was one of the books that changed my life. Is that so much we're we're especially in entrepreneurs, we're always ex- escaping the now, always looking to the next milestone, which is always a moving goalpost. And in doing so, especially your high ambitious leaders, you sometimes for, forsake the now. And now, you know, I'm in the process of being trauma informed. Um, certified, I, I see the power of when we escape it now, we're actually abandoning ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can remain present with our situation right now, because everything we need is in this moment, our happiness, our joy, our wealth, our, even our health, even if you're in pain, in this moment, you can feel no pain. I know people are like, well, what does that mean? Because we're thinking about what happened yesterday and what happened to our brain is very powerful. Our brain can change everything, but it's being in that power of now. And if we focus on the now, we have everything we need now. So our tomorrow will be a reflection of that. Is when we're thinking that tomorrow is a faraway place that we're not going to have what we need until we get there, then we'll never be in the now. We'll never be present. We'll never be full. That's that's the magic is being in the now. I love it. Ruth, those are really, really wise words. And that if, if, if anybody hasn't read that book, I highly recommend it to you. That was something that changed my trajectory as well when I read that book. And there was parts of it where I was like, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Where it was just like, okay, toll is like not making any sense to me. And then I had to reread it. And because then it was like the second time around, I really got it because then my brain was there. I was there, right? Mentally, I was on board to understand, okay, the power of now. Um, And in this day and age, it's so hard for us to stay more present, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just recognizing, okay, and having the awareness to know, ah, I'm not right here in this present moment right now. I'm distracted. I'm on my phone or I'm not being present or I'm literally doing something else and not really paying attention to my child. You know, just being able to really notice when you're not being in the now. So I love that. Thank you so much. Yes. This, you're phenomenal. You're an amazing woman. I love what you're doing for people. Um, I'm going to leave everything in the show notes of how people yes. can get a hold of you or reach out awesome. to you um, because Ruth, you're amazing. So thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you, Brooke, for having me. I'm so honored to be on this show. I listen to your podcast and it's, it's amazing. So thank you for having me on your show. Welcome to Goddess Rising. I am Brooke Kikos, your host, a trauma recovery coach, RTT therapist, and NLP practitioner. Join us in unlocking the power from within and using our voice to create real change for women to empower, learn, expand consciousness, and uplift each other. If you have been burdened by a past of trauma, abuse, and toxic relationships, this is a safe space to learn and embody your truth. It's time that we embody our feminine energy and become the goddesses within and stop allowing others to dim our light. I am here to help you shift from shame, people-pleasing, codependency, and the belief that you are not enough and shift into expansion of your real potential. It's time to say no to toxic behaviors and say yes to unapologetic self-love. And this is where we find the healthiest relationship with ourselves.